right, hello and welcome to the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? Yeah, good, man. You've noticed the, the different background um, <laughs> that I've got on the Zoom link. We've got to start doing a, a video version of the podcast. Otherwise, people are not going to know our constant references to your background. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm still on the floor. I'm in a different room, but I'm still on the floor for various reasons. I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully moving into a house with a desk soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this podcast has been so successful that Barney's actually uh, bought a new house. <laughs> <laughs> but no, man, I'm really good. I really enjoyed the weekend. It was so nice for football to be back. I know, yeah, it was just a great weekend of matches, man. I really enjoyed it. Some really, really good fixes. And yeah, it is really great to be back. It's great to be back doing this. Uh, we just started the show by saying a really big thank you to everybody who tuned into our three-part pre-season preview show that uh, went down really well. We had really great response. So thank you to everybody who listened. Uh, if you haven't listened to it yet, um, it's probably not too late. I would say go back and listen to um, at least the third part, which gives you some... Uh, information about the newly promoted teams but definitely go and listen back to how me and Barney reckon some of these teams are going to shape up this season it's a a three-parter so it's a bit of a marathon but yeah if you're working during the day and you want something to stick on I can definitely recommend it we try to put in as many transfers as we could and then since the (laughs) we finished recording and then got it out there was even more transfers and then like you know yeah but this is the nature of the transfer window isn't it there's just constant surprises coming up the odd ones you don't expect Absolutely. And that does bring us quite nicely onto something we should talk about very quickly before we get into the games, because as Brian alluded to, the transfer window is still open. There has been some big transfer news this week. The biggest confirmed signing and one of the biggest confirmed signings of the season so far was Andre Franco to Porto for €4 million. Now, I was actually in Portugal last week and I went to visit the Estoril Stadium and I'm convinced that I saw Andre Franco going into the stadium on the day that this was announced. So I'm pretty sure I saw Andre Franco going, you know, to clear out his locker and say goodbye to his fans. That said, it could have just been a random Portuguese man and I don't know what Andre Franco looks like, but I'm going to go with the first story. Oh man, you could have got an exclusive love for <laughs> Pedro Sepulveda to the, to the chase. <laughs> No, shame. A missed opportunity, but a good move for Andre Franco and I think a good move for Porto. On that pre-season preview show, we were discussing how Porto had lost some creative players in midfield and they'd need to fill those positions. So signing Andre Franco, one of the best uh, attacking midfielders in the league last season for only €4 million Euros is a really great bit of business. Yeah, especially with considering how um, the fees being banded about for Andre Almeida from Vitoria, which was everything for them earlier in the transfer window. Um, I think it's a a smart buy. I think you know Andre Franco is, is certainly the better player in my opinion. Um, so yeah, that's that's a great bit of business for for Porto. And like you said, someone they they needed to add to their squad. They definitely need to play like that. Absolutely, I think it's a, a move that makes sense for everyone. And the other big bit of transfer news, although this one isn't confirmed, although it looks pretty nailed on, is that that Ricardo Horta to Benfica move does now look to be happening. The rumour is it's 15 million euros total, plus Gilles Diaz going the other way. Uh, we're going to come on to the game in just a second, but at the end of Braga's game at the weekend, he he very clearly seemed to be saying his goodbyes to those fans. It was quite emotional uh, departure for Ricardo Horta. So it does look like Ricardo Horta will be a new Benfica player. Great for Benfica, Barney, but, but perhaps less good news for, for, for Braga, obviously. I think the move was always going to happen. Although mm-hmm. I think um, um, him clapping the fans at the end of the sporting game, I think Arthur George said, and it, when I asked about it, it's like, oh, well, our players always clap the fans at the end of the game. It's, it's not... <laughs> no, I think this this move was always going to happen at some point. And I think what's what's come out of it really is, and you sent me this today, the sort of breakdown of the, the ownership of Ricardo Horta. And you see why Braga were digging their hills and trying to get as much money as they could because the reality is that they're going to get... At, pennies basically in terms of this deal a player who should be going for more than David Karma in my opinion he's like one of the best players they've ever had and, and yeah they, they, it looks like they're going to get almost almost nothing for him well just to specify what Barney's talking there talking about there uh, I don't know if this is 100% true but I saw something on Twitter earlier today suggesting that Braga own as little as 10% 
of Ricardo Horta's economic rights, so they'll only be getting 1.5 mil from that 50 million pound transfer fee. They still own less than Malaga. Malaga own 15%. But the most alarming thing is that allegedly George Mendes' agent group, Gestafu, owns 45% of the player. So that's pretty in- incredible. Obviously, you know, if that's not true, we'll happily be proved wrong. But it's pretty alarming. And, and, and just seeing how little Braga own in terms of economics and such an incredible player and how little financially they're going to benefit from his sale um, is pretty worrying. Well, I mean, from a Benfica point of view, such a good signing. He was unbelievable last season, like an incredible player. And, and it might be a little cliche to say this, but, you know, there was times when he was in that Braga team and you just couldn't help think, like, if he had better players around him. You know the, his output would be be even even higher. So yeah, it's a fantastic move for Benfica, and I, um, and I'm I'm happy for him as well to get this move because you know he's he's flirted with the national team. This would only help his chances and sort of get getting into that where he certainly deserves to be, in my opinion. So yeah, fantastic move for Ricardo Horta. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to the football barling quickly before we get onto the league. Let's touch on Europe because there is European action for the Portuguese clubs. Vitoria are looking to overturn a 3-1 deficit uh, against Hadjik Split in the second leg of their Europa Conference League qualification game. I think it was a really disappointing game from Vitoria's perspective, considering uh, how positive their their first qualifying game was. Uh, They were 1-0 up and then to lose 3-1 is really damaging, especially considering they conceded that third goal in the last five minutes. You know, there's a huge difference between losing 2-1 away from home uh, in a two-legged fixture and losing 3-1 away from home in a two-legged fixture. So that was really disappointing. And But slightly better news for Gilles Vicente, who managed a 1-1 draw away at Riga in Latvia. Now, I expected them to win that game, but all things said, uh, I think a 1-1 result away from home is not bad at all. No, I think both these ties, Vitoria's are slightly hard, obviously, but I still think they've both these teams have got opportunities to get to the next round, as tough as Vitoria's may seem to be. But I think since that game, Vitoria, who we're going to talk about later as well on the show, but they, they've they've looked stronger and they've they've improved their squad. And the same with um, Gilles Vicente, I think they're, they're, they're heading in the right direction. So I think those are quite nicely poised ties, actually. Um, certainly keep an eye on those in later in the week. Yeah, certainly Gilles Vicente with a good chance. Slightly less optimistic about Pretoria, but let's see. And of course, Benfica in the Champions League, Barney. I really enjoyed this game uh, last week. Benfica beat Michelin 4-1 in the home leg of their first Champions League qualification tie. Really convincing result. I'm really positive about them. I think they'll definitely come through that second leg, barring some kind of disaster. Um, And they look set up pretty well in this Champions League one. If Benfica do go through as we expect they'll play either Dynamo Kiev or Sturm Graz from Austria in Champions League qualification so it's a winnable game and it sets them up for another winnable tie as well and it was so important for them to get that first leg win yeah. particularly with their the struggles in previous seasons like you know it's just they needed to do that and they absolutely did it so yeah and I fancied them with either of those uh, teams in the next round as well I think they, they they should get they should get there shouldn't they absolutely absolutely very positive for, for Benfica in the Champions League well look Let's get into it, Barney. Let's talk about Journal, the one of the Primera Liga season. As you know, if you're a listener to this podcast, we run through all the big three games from the week and then a couple of the best games from the rest of the teams. We're going to start with the best game from the Primera Liga this weekend and possibly one of the best games we'll see all season. Braga 3, Sporting 3. Uh, what better way to start the new season, Barney? Equal quantities of incredible skill and undeniable chaos. It was drama from start to finish, tons of goals, and just a brilliant spectacle to watch. Several times in this game, I, I spluttered on my drink. I, I made an audible gasp, <laughs> particularly for that Nuno Santos goal. I was literally just like, oh my. Um, <laughs> yeah, this was, this was this was so good. This is why I enjoyed this weekend so much, man, because I you know, found the time to watch this game and it was just uh, brilliant. And I wasn't necessarily expecting it to be so open as it was I thought it was going to be a little bit tighter but because I was thinking about like last last season Sporting won this fixture 2-1 and they got a goal just before half time and a goal just after and and the rhythm of those goals came coming in for them was was perfect right and I think Braga were only able to get a late equalizer in that fixture but in this game you know what was evident is that they they could never kill the game off they could never get that two goal lead and that's what 
you know, and Brogger's Brogger were going to have chances, and, and they and they have certainly had belief, and, and part of, you know, mainly due to their fans as well. I thought they were fantastic, but yeah, the fact that Sporting could just not get that two goal cushion at any point, it's sort of how the game panned out, wasn't it? It's just they they could never get far enough ahead of Brogger. Well, they couldn't defend Barney. I mean, as much as I enjoyed the game, I would be fuming if I was a Sporting fan because to go ahead three times and then to concede just after scoring every single time for me is unacceptable. You know. They've made some defensive signings, but is that an area of weakness now? Because as you said, the game was a very open game and that came about because both teams, of course, are very good going forward, but both teams were very poor at the back and seemed to be cut open very easily by both teams. Um, Of course, to caveat that, though, they did look outstanding going forward, but definitely, definitely defensive weaknesses for both teams, but particularly for sporting, I thought. I thought the the tactics and the substitutions were sort of, for me, what sort of gave us this end result, right? And I think at the start of the match, I thought Arthur George had got it wrong with Braga. They'd moved to this 4-4-2 formation. Obviously great to get the two strikers into that team in um, Banza and Vitinha. But it sort of gave Sporting so much space on the, the wings and, and Porro and Nuno Santos were regularly found in it with acres of space. But then other George was correct in that formation because you know you also saw Braga create their own overloads when the fullbacks got up the pitch as well and it was like these little intricate patterns of play going on where you know you could see these formations working out against each other there was obviously pros and cons but I think Albert this for me it was the substitutions and I don't know if it was tactical due to injury but when Rodrigo Gomez came on for Yuri Medeiros just after half time I felt that substitution forced Amarin to take Nuno Santos off so that there was a more defensively sound player to help nullify Gomez, if you see what I mean. And when Santos came off, I felt Sporting sort of la- lost that width from that side. And and then obviously Fabiano got on for um, Braga as well. And that just helped that right-hand side of Braga just be that bit more solid. And I think that's that's the sort of transition that they went through in that game of that right-hand side is what got them back in it in terms of, you know, I just felt that that really, really helped them. Yeah, well, it was an interesting game because it obviously got off to a blistering start in the first half. It was 2-2 uh, in the first half with a, a goal for Braga also ruled out. So you know, the ball was in the back of the net plenty of times. But as you say, after the first, second half ended, it definitely changed the dynamic of the game. It was a much more cagey game, perhaps, until the last 10, 15 minutes. Uh, I wasn't surprised to see... The breakthrough for Sporting's third goal come from Rashinia and Marcus Edwards uh, linking up after, as you described, a kind of period of stagnation where they couldn't really get through Braga's defence anymore. Those two players came on uh, and really created some some excellent chances. Rashinia in particular was the player that I wanted to see come on at halftime. I just thought he had the ability to really break through that defence and create chances. And that was what we saw in the end. And equally for Braga, Barney, I think... They had so many good striking options. I mean, you described the two players out up front, Vitinha and Simon Banza. They also had Abel Ruiz, who came on off the bench and scored a goal. So they've got really, really exciting striking options. Oh, can I just come in there? I think Edwards and Rashini were really interesting because I think you're absolutely right. I think they were the right people to come on. I just don't think Amarin took the right people off, if you see what mm-hmm. I mean. I think Jim Cowell should have come off. Um, I think Pedro Porro probably should have stayed on as well. I don't think that helped them. But um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Edwards and Rashini, but they were just brilliant when they come on. And then the other dub, and then the reverse of that, of course, is Braga bringing on Abarus and Jallo, as you mentioned. And Jallo, when he left as Gaia for dead for that final equaliser, man, that mm. was just like, he looked absolutely fantastic. And I'd never heard of him, to be honest. I mean, he's come up from the, been promoted from the B team, hasn't he? Um, but yeah, he was absolutely brilliant. And this is sort of going back to what I was saying at the beginning with, with the the four four two formation that Braga were playing with, but like they have to go with that because I think in every combination of players they had in those two striking positions throughout the game, whether it was Banz and Vitinha, whether it was Abarus come on, it just worked really well and and they they looked really dangerous and I think Banz and Vitinha as a pair, you know, they just complement themselves uh, each other so well. So I think that was yeah yeah so so good. It was quite interesting watching Sporting play with Paulinho up front. We know the issues he's had and then seeing Braga with Vitinha and Simon Banza, you know, two strikers who would be exactly, in my opinion, what Sporting would need. And we know that Simon Banza was available for only €3 million and uh, he ended up at Braga rather than Sporting. So very interesting to see that. There were some real positives for, for Sporting, I thought. Like I said, going forward, they were excellent. 
I thought Pedro Gonzalez looked really sharp. He looks back to his sharp best. Um, and of course, Mateus Nunes was unreal. We haven't talked about him yet, especially in the first half. He was involved in the build-up for both goals. He got an assist for Nuno Santos, a wonderful lofted pass and a great volley for Nuno Santos. And then the first goal, you know, whilst he doesn't get credited with an assist, that through ball that he plays for Pedro Porro to just put it on a plate for Pedro Gonzalez. Great vision and really, really good way to pass. So he had a particularly, particularly strong game. They do have to sort out those defensive issues though for me, Barney, because they can't go into games against the likes of Benfica and Porto with defending the way they defended in that game because if you're conceding three against Braga you're going to concede more than that against the likes of Porto uh, and Benfica so a lot of positives for both teams a very enjoyable game for the neutral but still did highlight some issues for me especially in the defensive area but what would you say that was though because I think I know St. Juice got on didn't he and he, he looked quite good I saw some criticism of Anastasio, and I think that was on, on, online. I think that was quite fair. I mean, he, he's still obviously incredibly young, but certainly left me feeling uh, far less confident in Sporting's defence than I was at the beginning of the season, seeing this performance. Just felt there was just too many errors. And and obviously, having Nuno Santos as a left wing back is, is great going forward, but it's about getting the right combination. And at the moment, I can't work out what their best combination would be. Yeah, well, they obviously play Matos Reese as the left centre-back and then Asia as the right centre-back to start off with. And I think they both have a similar issue in a way, but although perhaps for slightly different reasons, I think Inacio, as talented as he is, has a tendency to switch off and perhaps get his positioning wrong, perhaps make the wrong judgment about when to break out from the defence to go and to mark someone or try and intercept. So I think he got caught out a couple of times. And Mateus Reese, we know, is a more attack-minded player. So he's often thinking about getting forward and pushing up the field. So I think they were left with those gaps in defence too often. I think bringing someone like St. Justin probably does shore that up a bit, a more natural central defender to play alongside Coates, but that's only one player. So I think... I think the defensive issues were less about tactical and more about personnel perhaps making individual mistakes or just lapses of concentration. But early days in the season, you know, so those problems could still well be ironed out. I'm not going to say it again, but also we need to credit Braga for the, the two strikers up top because that when you're playing with that back five, you know, if you've got an extra striker there, suddenly there's just one more thing to think about. And I think that's what we saw as well at moments of the game. But um, yeah, man, Certainly best game of the weekend and, and what a welcome back to Portuguese football. Absolutely. Well, look, let's talk about another game, Barney. Let's talk about Porto versus Maritimo. Porto won the game 5-1 off to a flying start. Uh, absolutely no doubt from their performance that they'll be mounting a title challenge this year. Goals from Taremi, who scored twice. Evan Nilsson, centre-back Marcano and substitute striker Tony Martinez. It was a great performance and a very comfortably deserved win for Porto. Oh yeah, I, I wrote down the same old Porto. I thought mm. that you know this was just straight back at it, and for um, Rube sort of took the role of Vitinha and was just ex- it was for me it was exceptional. I just really liked the way he sort of showed a slightly different side to his game to me in in this one. He was took a bit more responsibility and sort of spreading the play and that. And I thought Sanusi as well looked even better than last year. He had an absolute, I thought great game, and then, I know now he's gone to Sevilla, but. There were rumours about Alex Tellers coming back on loans, knocking around at some points. And, you know, once again, I think that's sort of fueled by the fact that people are underappreciating Sanusi, perhaps, because, you know, there was he was causing a lot of problems on that left-hand side. You know, he got past uh, Claudia Wink a few times, put some deep, dangerous balls in. I guess we need to talk about the two players coming in now, but just sort of filling the, the biggest holes in the squad in, in Danny Namasso and um, and Pepe. And, and they both came in and were... In, so effective. Namaso, I, I'd wish I'd watched them at Reading because I feel like the player we're watching now must look almost unrecognisable, the amount he's developed. You know, his his two-footedness in this game, the way he screeched through the defence to create Evan Nilsson's goal and his, his work create. And I think you can just see the influence that Conscious has had on him and, and Pepe too. You know, both of them were getting around the pitch, working to get the ball back, the, the, the speed they would press. Uh, I just thought they were both absolutely brilliant. I've got to agree with that. And we do have to give a lot of credit to Danny Namaso because, you know, listeners to the show will know we love to pick up the English talent in the Premier League. And he's a really, really exciting young player. I thought it was interesting that he started as an attacking midfielder behind the two strikers, you know, because we obviously think of him as a striker. But 
as you say, he was so effective running at the defence and he was involved in a couple of the goals, maybe not directly with assists, but he was involved in, involved in the attacking moves. Um, I like the fact that he just wasn't afraid to get on the ball and try and make things happen. You know, he could easily have been overwhelmed by the occasion, but it, he totally wasn't. You could tell he really, really wanted a goal. You could just tell from the way he was playing inside the box, trying to get his shots off. Didn't quite happen for him in this game, but based on that performance, I think... Uh, he's shown that he's ready to be a regular part of this first team. He might not start every game, he might not score every game, but at this young age, he's definitely ready to be part of the first team now. And, and it's good to see that Sergio Conchasau believes in him. The thing I liked about this game from Porto's perspective, Barney, we spoke on our preseason show about uh, some areas where we thought they might be weaker. Uh, central midfield, we talked about central defence, perhaps there was a lack of signings. But I like the fact that in this game, in those positions, they didn't look weak at all. As you say, rightly, Uribe looked excellent in central midfield, made me feel very confident about him going into the season. I put out a tweet saying I couldn't believe that uh, Pepe and Marcano were starting for Porto in 2022, you know, a combined age of 68, I think, something like that, something incredible. So, But again, Marcano got his goal and Pepe just looks like his... Uh, unbeatable self. Uh, Joao Mario, I thought, had a very good game at right back. He's one of the young players who I think is slightly underrated, often overlooked, maybe criticised more uh, than some of the other young players. Like you said, Sanusi played really well. So they were just really strong all over the pitch, even in areas where we thought they might be weaker. Uh, And some of the new players got on and showed what they could do. Gabriel Veron coming on late on in the number seven shirt looks pretty promising. So plenty of positives all over the pitch for Porto and I was very impressed. I think... Since Luis Diaz left, Contrasau has sort of almost narrowed the midfield a bit, hasn't he? Like, you know, even though Pepe was on the pitch, he's a sort of out and out winger, he was sort of finding places in the middle where what you were t- saying there about Jao Mario, but I think the fact that this formation change has sort of come about and that the narrow midfield, Sanusi and Jao Mario are going to have very big roles this season for, for Porto. And I think Jao Mario's so suited it just suits him so well doesn't it? getting forward whipping balls in yeah I think he's going to have a big season there but I do want to just mention Taremi again because I don't know what else we can say about this guy but I was thinking like surely this is like the best four million ever spent in the league and <laughs> and our, our listeners who have followed the league longer than me might suggest others I would love to hear those suggestions because you know I'm, they might well be right but I I feel like I find it hard to believe that there's a better value player. And there's certainly bigger names that have arrived to this league for cheaper and, and gone on to bigger and better things. But I think that's why Taremi's better because he, he'll be here for another two seasons. And I expect him to get at least 15 goals for those season this season and the next two. And then and that's why that's why he's better because Porto have got him at this time where he's playing his best football, unlikely to move, and will just, you know, stay here and just deliver and deliver and deliver. And I think that's why I, I reckon he's the best value player ever to have played in this league. I love that. That's a great discussion topic. Maybe get in contact with us if you can think of a, a better bargain buy in the Primera Liga in the last few years. I totally agree. And it was really nice to see. I mean, it happens quite regularly when he does well, but there was a lot of discussion online about him being undervalued because of his age and stuff and how he's probably not likely to move to a big club because he's 29 years old. If he was three, four years younger, he'd be being scouted by all the big clubs around Europe. On a selfish level, I'm not mad at that at all because I love having this guy in the league and I love the goals he's scoring and I love the impact that he's having for Porto. So um, long may it continue, Mediterranean, one of the best strikers uh, we've seen in Portugal in a long time. Um, we do have to touch on Marito Barney. Unfortunately, it wasn't a great performance from them. I did think they were pretty dreadful, to be honest. And I think a heavy loss like this was pretty much down to their own making consider the sheer number of poor mistakes that they were making. Defensive errors cost them for at least two or three of the goals. Of course, they're always likely to concede against Porto, but when you're gifting Porto goals in the way that Maritimo did in their own stadium, um, for example, Taremi's second goal, the way they tried to pass it up in the back and the, the whole thing went just terribly wrong. They've only really got themselves to blame for this, for this kind of performance. Albert, do you remember last year when um they lost 7-1 to Benfica? And I think Sabre had only been in the job for a little while. But I remember having this conversation at the time of that defeat about whether, as, as a, a manager of a club in this league, should you change your tactics for games of the big three or just stick with your philosophy? Even if it means you get spanked 
seven one, and I, I, and I, initially I thought that's what happened here, but then I remembered after that seven one loss to Benfica, they went on to beat Braga. They would also then go on to draw a Sporting as well, and I think that shows just that Siabra can get it right against the big teams. But I think I think it suggests that he struggles to change things during a game because. You're, you're right to bring up the, that second goal for Tremi because they were trying to play out from the back far too often and they didn't seem to change that, that to get any point and, and there was, you know, they just had to go, uh, Joel. By the way, I've been calling Joel Tagu Joel Tagu for ages, but then when I heard Con Murphy show, uh, call him uh, Joel uh, Tagway, which yeah. sounds far, yeah, it sounds so much better. I'm going to try and do that from now on. Um, but yeah, they did, you know, they had a couple of okay chances with uh, Joel Tagway. And he probably should have scored one, but you know, I just felt that they just stuck with the the, the game plan for too long, and they needed to really mix things up. And and yeah, I think that was poor from Siabra, if I'm going to be honest, Al. But I think that that the blame lies at his door for for this one. Well, we had exactly the same conversation after they lost seven one to Benfica, didn't we? About him not changing the style. And I think to be fair to them, I think they started the game not that bad. They had a few good moments going forward that first 15 minutes. They had some good opportunities on the counter attack. And and Joel Sagwe had a good two, in my opinion, two real goal scoring chances. And 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 this was the issue. He fluffed his lines twice in my opinion. That might sound harsh, but we were bigging him up on our pre-season show Barney and he let us down a little bit because he had two opportunities to score and he missed them both. And he does have to do better with those chances, particularly the one where Shadas puts it on a plate for him with that lovely lofted through ball and it was interesting because Kevin Fernandez was talking on Twitter about this after the game and he was summing up exactly what I was thinking, which is that it's all well and good going to Porto and creating two goal-scoring chances, which to be fair is more than a lot of teams will do at the drug out of the season. But there's no point creating two goal-scoring chances, even scoring two goals against Porto, if you're then just going to concede three in the same half. It renders the whole thing meaningless. And that was the issue. There were just too many mistakes. They were too weak at the back. Um, and they never looked like competing in this game at any point, if we're being honest. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly my point there. Uh, Seattle just didn't change it. They were just too shocking uh, in possession and, and gave the ball away too much. I think uh, the, the positives for me were Jadas and Andre Vidigal. I think Jadas was really, really good, and, and we need to see more of him this season because we didn't see enough, nearly enough last year um, after he arrived from Braga. And then, yeah, Andre Vidigal, because he was almost playing left wing back at some points and he was, his work rate was excellent, defended really well, but and he was great on the ball when he got it. So, yeah, I think those are those are good signs Good signs for um, Marito. And, and Cla- Claudio Wink getting on the score sheet. That's a, a, a lovely thing to see. Late consolation. Well, let's do the last of the big three, Barney. Let's talk about Benfica. They backed up their 4-1 win over Michelin with another four goals. Except this time they kept a clean sheet as they beat Aruka 4-0. We'd seen the early signs in the Champions League, Barney, that they were going to be on good form. And I think this game was just confirmation for me that they are going to be a very, very, very strong team this year. Gilbert was the last person in that Benfica team I expected to score first. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? That, that, that That's disrespectful to him because he has scored a few times, hasn't he? And, and a couple of really nice goals as well. But, you know, with Alexander Barr coming in, to the squad, I really expected Gilberto to lose his spot, and and because it's so hard for a player to be at a club and see a player come in in the same position for a decent fee, and for him to convince Roger Smith, you know, who signed that new player, that that you deserve to stay in the team ahead of him, that's all credit to him. And um, the way he arrived in that box for his goal is is exactly how Roger Smith will want his wing backs to play, and I think. I was I was pleasantly surprised with Gilberto Alba because I think I I had written him off, but I think he's got a lot, you know in this new system that Roger Smith plays, I think he could he could really really thrive. Some of us saw it coming, blindly. Some of us had him in uh, their fantasy <laughs> team. Just saying, um, no, but he did look great. You're right, he did look great. Um, and I think the key thing was that Benfica's new signings looked excellent as well. David Neres looks like a real problem, Barney. At this level, he looks like he's going to be a great signing. He looks like he's going to be ripping up teams or Aruka's level for fun in this league. So he looks like an exciting prospect, a massive upgrade on Everton. I think I said that on last week's show, really big upgrade on Everton and a great bit of business. And Enzo Fernandez, Barney, he looks like an absolute class above what we're used to from midfielders in this league. I think he will quickly establish himself as one of the league's best players. Well, man, look, I hadn't appreciated how, first of all, how young he is. He's just 21. He's younger than Florentino. Like, and... 
he was just constantly demanding the ball, right? I think, so he had 157 touches in this game. The next highest player for Benfica was Grimaldo though, with 98. Thiago is guy had the most touches for uh, Aruka with 51. That just like the difference, man. That that's I've never really seen that. And you mentioned just goal. He had four shots, the most of any player for Benfica as well. He had the most key passes, twenty long balls, fourteen accurate. I mean, these stats were you know surprising to me. Like I thought, Jao Mario looks pretty good actually, playing slightly further forward. When he and he created that first goal, he was really good. And Mr. Shaney had to come off, and then you know Chiquinho came on back from the dead. And uh, I think he's starting tonight, isn't he? But I mean, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, Enzo Fernandez's position in that team, he's not going to lose that to anyone. You know, Jaumero is going to have to play in that further forward position to get in the team now. Like, he's just absolutely incredible. And you said it there, but I, I think I'm going to just go all out and say he's already signing up the season. You know, Sporting could get Ronaldo, but I reckon Enzo Fernandez could, could be signing up the season. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, I do want to talk about one last Benfica player. I know we've talked about them quite a lot. Gonzalo Ramos, I thought, played very well. And I think he's got a big season coming up. Um, similarly to what we're saying about Daniel Rosso, he looked very, very eager to score. He just had that air about him. Now, I've seen a couple of times, I'm sure he will get over, where he just seemed a little bit too anxious about whether he was going to score and trying to make it happen. Didn't happen in this game. But I think once he settles down, and relaxes those goals, start to flow more naturally. He already scored two in the Champions League, so um, he's off to a very good start. And of course, Barney, the player we haven't mentioned who scored two goals was Rafa, you know, and and there's a big question mark about what kind of season he's going to have. He had a season of two halves last season, good start and a poor finish. So two goals in his first game is a very good way to kick it off. And, you know, for Benfica, having Rafa playing on top form for the whole season is going to be huge for them. I think it looks like he's being deployed in a sort of similar role to how he was when he was on, absolutely on fire last year, a bit more century, you know, a bit closer to the striker. I wrote down, I didn't really, I didn't really want to say stuff like this has to be a season or he has to be more consistent. I just think like, I just think he's a, such a special talent, man. I think Benfica have been lucky to keep him and I think Roger Smith recognises that and I think we'll have to see. I mean, he's 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 brilliant. Can I move it on to the red card quickly, Albert? <laughs> We have to go there. We have to go there. It's just a truly bizarre decision. I, I didn't think there was any need for VR to get involved. But, and for Ruka, you know, they, at that point, they had, they had a few counter-attacks and, and, and that could have come off. And But it just, that, that's just it. Like, what can you do after that against Benfica? You've got no chance. No, well, for anybody who doesn't know, Karezma, the uh, Ruka defender, was sent off 45 minutes in, initially given a yellow card. The decision, for some reason, went to VAR. Then the on-field ref went to look at the screen and then awarded a red card for what was quite clearly a very, very textbook yellow card. It wasn't even a strong yellow or a debatable yellow. It was really, really harsh decision. I made my clear feelings clear on Twitter at the time. And, and fair play, a lot of Benfica fans were saying exactly the same thing. They didn't see it as a red card either. And it just made life so hard for Aruka because they struggled from the start. We knew they were going to struggle. They set up for this game from minute one in a 5-4-1 formation, and it was a flat back five. So they were fighting for their lives, really, in this game from the very start. They got a yellow card in the first 20 seconds. Uh, the young English defender, Apoku, got the yellow card, which is a you know a tough start to life for him in the Premier League. Uh, just a caveat, I would say, I thought he actually played quite well, even when they were down to 10 men. Obviously, a very hard game for a centre-back to, to look good in, but he actually looked pretty decent. We'll come back onto him, I'm sure. But yeah, it was just a very, very... Difficult game for Aruka, made worse by a very tough decision. Because look, at that point, it was 45 minutes, you know, 44 minutes, 45 minutes. They were 2-0 down. Then they get the red card and they concede in first half stoppage time. So they were holding on for that 2-0 and then they go a man down and finish the half 3-0 down. So it was a real, really disastrous decision at a really, really bad time for Aruka as well. And I know you mentioned Benfica fans saying... um you know, that they also didn't think it was a red card. Like the game didn't need a decision like this. It wasn't like this was a, a like like a really aggressive, really feisty tie or anything like this. It it just didn't need that referee's input. And once again, we just got a referee having a huge influence on, on, a, on a game of football, which you know is, is is sad to see. I think Albert, there was there was a few positive signs for Aruka, but I think what I wrote down that it looked like the new signings need a little bit more time. You mentioned a Puka there, and I've got to agree with you. You know, I think. 
I actually thought in possession he looked a little uncomfortable, but defensively I thought he was excellent. You know, five clearances, three aerials, one, and like you said, he had a lot more to do after that red card. I thought he, yeah, I think defensively he looked he looked fantastic. And Oriol Best Busquets as well midfield. I think is another one of these new signings who struggled. Uh, but this, you know, this is a baptism of fire, isn't it? Coming coming against Benfica and being down to ten men. Um, and finally, Anthony, the winger, I thought was uh, probably the, the brightest um, spark in that uh, Aruba team. I think he he started a few of those counterattacks I mentioned. He 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 got them up pitch a few times. So no, I think what I was, you know, obviously I was trying to make notes on Aruba for this game, and the thing I wrote down was that it's actually a really hard game to judge anything about on Aruba because of the red card, and also because let's face it, this was probably their hardest game of the whole season on game week one. So it becomes very difficult to really judge anything about Aruka based on this game. And look, I commiserate with Aruka fans. I've been there. You know, everyone wants to win on the first game of the season. You go into back the club and then you don't get the result you want. It kind of starts off the season on a bit of a damp squib. But look, plenty more games to come and we're going to assess Aruka properly uh, in the coming weeks. All right, well, let's start to look at some of the games from outside of the big three, Barney. And one of the most impressive teams from outside those top three clubs was Esther Real, who managed a 2-0 win over Family Cow at home. Now, you were talking last week, Barney, about what a promising young team they had. And for me, it was a young player, Thiago Gouveia, who really was the star of the show in this game with two assists. What did you make of the team as a whole? Because I was a bit more on the fence about Esther Real. You were more positive and you were really proved right in this game. The first thing I want to say is for the first goal, that ball comes out wide and that touch from Graver to take it past his man was just, I was just like, ooh. I mean, he looks <laughs> unreal. And that, and that and that combination of Geraldes, Arthur Gomez, and Graver was absolutely terrifying. And Geraldes is an interesting player, isn't it? Because we've always, we've always had a real soft spot for him. But, and with the departure of Andre Franco now, you know, he, he, he absolutely has to be their man now. He, he can't, shy away from that and we know he's got the skill set but you know you look at his time at Rio Ave and even last season with Astro he was just never I just thought he was never trusted there always seemed to be another player who would come in and start ahead of him but this year really could be his year because he 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 looked brilliant and Arthur Gomez as well the other player I mean he was a regular starter for Astro last season but he only got the two goals and four assists so he'll be looking to improve on that this year but yeah, man, I just think, yeah, that 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 combination of three players was an absolute delight. I want to go back to Francisco Gerardo's partner because I thought exactly the same thing. The goal scorer, it was funny because we were talking about them not having much experience in that side, right? About 27 years old, I think he now finds himself suddenly one of the senior players at this club. And I do wonder how much that responsibility can improve his game, like you say. Um, especially at a stable club like Estoril, where maybe we could be seeing him reach his potential after quite a few years of, let's let's face it, being quite inconsistent and, and being a bit underwhelming. So, yeah, I think that could be a really interesting prospect. And the goalkeeper, finally, really impressed me. Really had a great game for Estoril. Um, not a goalkeeper I'm familiar with, to be totally honest. Not someone I was looking out for, but had a fantastic game. I mean, I, he, he caught my eye as well, but I, I had a little look into his past. So he's been at Estoril since 2019. He played a lot for them last year. He played a lot from the year before when they're in the Segunda division. But what's interesting is that he's never had that number one spot nailed on. You know, both of those previous two seasons, he's had a sustained period out out, out uh, on the subs bench. And he's got himself back into the team once again. And, and I think it's going to be interesting this season if he can, if he can keep his the number one spot. Because, you know, that penalty save was great, but it wasn't just that in this game. He made a lot of very, very good saves. So uh, definitely a young uh, Portuguese keeper to keep an eye on. I mean, a penalty save always endears you to uh, your new team, but it definitely capped on a fine performance. Um, Family Calbani, obviously not the start to the season that they wanted, a missed penalty in the process, things not quite going their way, but they were creating chances. So not a completely negative performance from their perspective, but obviously going to improve. We were sort of saying in our, our pre-season show, weren't we, that Family Calbani was seeming to have a, a quiet transfer window. Um, but, you know, they've since signed a few more players and and... and 
I wanted to talk about these new players because they weren't in this team. It was Zaydou Youssef, is a, a young French midfielder from Saint Etienne. Uh, it looks like a really exciting young talent, and a bit of a surprise that Family Cowway was again. But the reason I wanted to talk about him is that I just felt this partnership of Asan Cow and, and the experienced David Simoes just really weren't good enough in, in, in that midfield. And it was, you know, Rosier and Maureen um, Dio, the, the youngster from Porto B, who, who's just signed for Espoir, those two dominated midfield. And I think that's where Family Cow really came apart and they couldn't quite get, get into the game. Fortuna Cadil, the the left winger for Famalicao, another young French talent. He he looked decent and played quite well for them. But otherwise, I I think it, they, they, they there's a few more tweaks we need to see. There's a lot of talent there, Albert, isn't it? But it's just like you know that we need to see a little bit more. I think you described it quite well actually last on the season preview show when you just said that Famalicao's transfer business, and maybe you can just apply it to their squad. Is often about throwing a lot of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. You know, so I think we're still in that stage where. Family Cow are, are seeing what sticks because there were a lot of new faces uh, in the squad and you know a lot of people that we weren't sure how they were going to do. So like you say, I agree. I think the midfield was a bit weak, but I think Family Cow are the sort of team similar to what I was saying about Aruka just then. Uh, we're going to have to judge them more over the coming weeks because I think there will be changes and there will be uh, developments to that side. Well, let's talk about Chavez versus Victoria Barney, a game that ended 1-0 to the away side, Victoria, at full time. Um, and you know what? I think I'm really going to enjoy watching Chavez this season. For one, I really appreciated the atmosphere in the stadium. I thought it was a really good atmosphere. I thought they were backed by a good fan base and good voice. Uh, and equally credit to the Victoria fans as well, because they filled out that away end. And I think they contributed a lot to the atmosphere. The spectacle on the pitch wasn't quite a classic, but it was a good Northern derby, an enjoyable game for a number of reasons. Some of the more silly reasons will come on to I'm sure. But first and foremost, this was a competitive game on the pitch. Honestly, I thought either team could have taken all three points. Chavez had a goal ruled out for offside. But Victoria did look strong, to their credit. I think they took their goal well and they created chances throughout the game. Yeah, you know, if you look at the statistics as well for this game, it was, they were almost identical in every aspect. But I think you're right, Albert. I think it was that the quality that uh, Victoria possessed. For me, Ruben Lemire's I feel like he's found another gear. Like he, he was so unlucky not to score himself, but he just seems quicker and, and zippier than, than when, when at any other time I've watched him before. And with him and Jota and Andre Silva, they were just so they, that they were combination was so quick, so aggressive. You know, they would just always take on their opposing defenders. So I think that that's what really worked for them. And and then the other bit of quality in them midfield, Thiago Silva, just excellent again, and is is, is going to be a big player for them. So I think th- those. Those players there is what you know really got got them through this tie. Yeah, and I I really like that little attacking unit that they're setting up. Andre Silva looks like he's ready for that step up, step up having signed from Maruka. I think it's obviously quite hard to compare him to a stupid man, but he's definitely an upgrade on Duarte, who they let go. I think he's looks already looks much better. He's already scored in the Europa Conference League, and now he's scored in the league. So it looks like he could be a very good fit for the club and a good bit of business. And I'm so pleased you brought up Ruben Lemaris because he was the player that I wanted to praise. You know, Jota Silva is getting a lot of the attention as the kind of exciting new signing. I think Ruben Lemaris has, for a little while, been seen as perhaps a little bit of an unfashionable player at Pretoria. You know, he was always the one on the bench behind Marcus Edwards, behind Rashinia. He was signed from Family Cal kind of mid-season, so never quite got uh, a big welcome reception. But like you, I think he really, really looked good in this game and he's been looking good in Europe as well the couple of games that he's played there. Um, he continues to impress me after not quite fitting into the team in that second half of the last season where he was suddenly given the opportunity to play. So it looks like pre-season he's done some really good work, perhaps on himself, you know, psychologically getting himself in the right place because I agree, I think he's turned the corner uh, and it's starting to look really good for Victoria. Very useful for them. Um, we have to talk about the two red card incidents, Barney. Absolutely calamitous incidents. Alpha Samedo is unbelievable. What is this guy doing? He came on in the 55th minute as a substitute and manages to get himself sent off by 85 minutes. He's got more red cards in the league than any other player. It's just ridiculous. Like, what is going on in this guy's head at this point? And do you know what's crazy, though? Is that I remember... This time last year, like a few games in, he got 
like two red cards in three games. And I remember researching that point and like, I don't think he had a red card in his career before getting <laughs> moving to Victoria. That can't be right. But like, there's something of him, the, the combination of him and Victoria is just like, what's going on? I mean, that was, that was absolutely mad. It's lucky I didn't come back to bite him. You know, both red cards. <laughs> because yeah. it would be sort of almost classic Victoria, if you see what I mean, that, that, that happening and then losing, dropping points. So the fact that they were able to hold on, you know, this, that, that's the difference. Well, hopefully this, this will be the difference between this season of Victoria and last season. You know, they, they'll be able to be a bit more strong, a bit more resilient and not let, <laughs> let Alpha Semedo fuck it up for them. <laughs> well, we're criticising Alpha Semedo, Barney. What about Mateus Indio, who saw what Alpha Semedo did and thought, you know what, I can do better than that. Subbed on in the 86th minute, gets his first card, yellow card in the 90th and then gets his second yellow card on the 95th minute, the guy doesn't even last 10 minutes on the pitch. They end the game with nine men. Complete ridiculousness. I, I agree with what you're saying. They very almost undid themselves in a way that Pretoria have done quite a few times, but they managed to hold it together and, and they did get all three points. And um, let's talk about Chavez, Barney, because I was obviously keen to watch them after them being newly promoted and having chats with Jose about them on our preseason preview show. Um, I was looking out for some of their players like Teixeira and Batchi, who didn't have quite impact I thought they might do but in general I thought Chavez looked pretty decent you know they, they kept up with Pretoria for most of the game as I mentioned earlier they did have a goal of their own ruled out for offside so they were capable of making chances I thought defensively they didn't look too shaky Stephen Pretoria at the back looked pretty solid good new signing for them they worked hard for each other and there is decent quality in that team so I'll be keen to watch them over the next few weeks to get a, a better picture but first impressions were were not too bad and they'll probably feel a little bit unlucky not to walk away from the game with something, you know? I've been writing an article about Chavez for porchgold.net, which will will be out soon. And for me, it was really satisfying to see players that uh, I'd researched come come through and look good. And the players you mentioned there, but for me, it was the wingbacks out, Jao Correa, the right back, who just seemed to have infinite energy and was up and out of that pitch with incredible speed. I think he was offside for the the goal that got ruled out for in that build up, and then Bruno Lange on the left back as well it looks just a really really dangerous cross of the ball. But the surprise for me, Albert, was um, out of all their players because you mentioned Texeria here there. I think he would definitely need to keep an eye on him. But it was um, Jao Mendes in midfield who last year really struggled to get into their starting lineup. He got the start of this game and he just looked like a really positive player in that midfield. He, he missed a big chance and, and had that goal without out for offside as well. So he, so he actually got the ball in the back of the net. But yeah, he looked like a, a, a nice little midfielder actually. So I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I think there's there's a, an exciting team there and um, yeah, I just want to watch more of them now. I, I, I've got the bit between my teeth. They look really good. But we're quickly just going to round up the rest of the fixtures from the weekend for anybody who missed any results. On Saturday, Rio Ave played Vizela. Now, I personally would have predicted Rio Ave to win that game, but Vizela got a 1-0 win away from home to start their season off on a very, very positive foot. You know, me and Barney were sceptical in our pre-season show about whether they would have enough to stay up, but they've got a very, very valuable three points uh, away at Bezella in that game. That's exactly the sort of result they could look at the end of the season and be that that, that was massive. So yeah, great for them. Um, I just saw that Castellanos just left them as well, though, isn't it? So I don't actually know what striker they've got at the, at the moment, so that'll <laughs> be interesting to see. But great for them and, and disappointing for Rirav. Great way to start the season for Vizela. Uh, and on Sunday, there were a couple of fixtures that we didn't cover. Santa Clara versus Casapia. Now, that game ended nil-nil, but interestingly, Casapia missed a penalty. So they had a great opportunity to win their first game of the season and definitely not the start of the season that Santa Clara would have wanted. I think their manager came out after the game and said they, they have to do better. So they'll definitely want improvement. And then on Sunday night, we had Portimonense versus Boa Vista. Boa Vista, the winners of that game, 1-0 thanks to a goal from Yusufa and G. I know that a uh, friend of the show, Graham, was out in the Algarve watching that game. So definitely get in touch and let us know how the game was. Uh, personally, I'm not surprised to see that result. I think Portland's do look quite weak this season. And in the last game of Jornada, Gilles Vicente versus Paso de Ferreira, that happened on Monday night, a game that ended 1-0 to Gilles Vicente. A very, very good game, very entertaining game, two good teams. And I will just say, if you haven't already, go and watch the highlights of that game because that goal, it's a very funny goal, Barney. It's a very funny goal. Goalkeeping error, two slips, uh, very entertaining. I really like the look of um, Nigel Thomas, the pass of the Ferrer in that game. 
a really exciting signing, exciting little winger. And nice to see Ali Alapur getting on the score sheet because you know that that's exactly why why Jovic have, have, have bought a player like him. You know the goals can be shared out more, and I think we will see him popping up with a few more this season. All right, well that does bring us to the end of the show. But as always, me and Barney like to end the show with a little game recommendation that we think you should check out this weekend in the Premier League. And now the big three are all in action, of course. Benfica are away at Casapia, Sporting host Rio Ave, and Porto are away. At Pizella. any of those those games took your fancy, Barney? Or are you going to go for something a little bit more obscure? I'd say about Sporting Rio Ave. I'm not sure it will happen, but like Sporting aren't down, but you know they they've had that draw. They they see the last late, and whether whether Rio Ave can sort of add more misery onto them, I don't know. We'll have to see. But for me, the best game of the weekend certainly looks like Victoria Estrel on on Sunday. I think that's going to be a really well uh, well matched game. Yeah, I agree with that. That would be my top pick. That's on Sunday at 8.30pm. Pretoria de Gimarais versus Estoril. Pretoria, a team we've talked about a lot already, that we've watched already. We know they're looking good with those attacking options. And Estoril impressed us so much uh, this weekend. So that could be a really interesting game to watch. If you want something a little bit different, I would go for maybe 3.30pm on that day, Boa Vista versus Santa Clara. Santa Clara didn't quite impress uh, last weekend, but Bo Vista and Santa Clara, two clubs who are dark horses this season, who I think could both do good things. So that could be a very interesting game to watch for sure. All right. Well, that's everything for this week. We just want to end the show by saying a big thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can consider it giving us a little rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or just sharing the podcast with a mate that you think might enjoy it. If you want to get in contact with us, you can find us on Twitter at LongBallFootball. We're always happy to get involved in you guys' conversations. So send us any comments or messages that you want about the show or about uh, the football from this weekend. But that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Yes, yeah, next week.